Bonjour and welcome to Just Plain Sense, the Equality and Diversity podcast. I'm Christine Bones, and this week I'm featuring another of the key presentations from the Department of Health conference that took place at the end of May in Nottingham on LGBT mental health. In the previous episode, you heard an introduction from Sarinda Sharma, the National Director of the Equality and Human Rights Group in the Department of Health, and then Professor Anne Rogers, who holds the Chair in Sociology of Healthcare at the University of Manchester. In this episode, we continue with the presentation by Tim Franks, the Chief Executive of PACE, a leading London-based charity which promotes mental health and well-being within the lesbian, gay, bisexual and trans community there. In his presentation, Tim talks about the different reasons that LGBT people may have for connecting with mental health services. Like many of the day's speakers, he emphasises that whilst being different in these ways is not a mental illness, People have the experiences of discrimination to deal with and, of course, they can experience conditions such as depression or psychotic illnesses like anyone else. Tim also raises interesting perspectives about how therapeutic relationships can benefit when service users don't need to explain aspects of their identity and simply feel that their sexual orientation or gender presentation is accepted. He says that, in PACE, The service providers come out about their position so that the service user doesn't need to. In the next episode, I'll be featuring my own presentation, but now here's Tim. Hello, everyone. Oh, it's working. That's a relief. Um, Okay, Um, thank you. Thank you to the organisers. Thank you for having this event, and thank you for asking me to attend. There we are. I feel like I'm at the Oscars. Um, It's great to be here, actually. I, I spent a long time in Nottingham. I grew up in this county. I came out here. Um, I came out by calling the Nottingham switchboard. I went to the local youth group here. Um, I, I have a lot of a lot of history um, with this place, so it's, it's good to be back, and it's lovely to see some some old colleagues and, and friends in the audience. Um, oh. There we are. That's nice. Um, that's me. Um, I, as, as I say, I'm, I'm, I'll say a tiny little bit about Pace. Um, we're a London-wide LGBT mental health. Uh, charity with a voluntary sector. In terms of the previous speaker uh, and, and levels of knowledge, I guess I'm here to talk about lay knowledge. I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert, um, but I, I am the CEO of this charity. I, I fundraise, so if you do have a large bag of money um, that you've brought with you that you need to find a home for, then please do see me. Um, the services that we provide are, we, we have sort of counselling, couples counselling, family therapy. We have a mental health advocacy project, a mental health employment project, um, therapeutic gay men's group work, youth services, and we have a few other sort of key delivery partnerships, one around domestic violence and one around youth homelessness. I, too, am editing for time. I haven't done, um, apologies, I haven't done a, a, a big sort of glamorous PowerPoint presentation. Um, talking and pressing buttons at the same time is, is, is just a bit scary for me. Um, but what I have, I did do, did do one slide, if we could have one of those. Oh, do I have to do this? Yes, I do. Look, ah, there we are. Look, I can do it. Um, here is our website. If you want to find out anything more about PACE, please do look at the website. And if you would like to find out anything more about the things I'm, I'm talking about, um, any of the references I make, there is my email address to please get in touch with me. Can I say particularly if you are an NHS Mental Health Trust in London and you would like to find out more about us and, and working with us and perhaps how we can work with you, 
really please do get in touch with me. Love to hear from you. Um, so so in, the, in, in, the, in the blurb that you've got, I'm talking a little bit about experiences from the front line. I'm, I'm talking quickly because I have the time issue too, so um, I'm going to race through this. Um, and in particular, what, what I've been focused on, you know, is, is, is what is it like for us in an LGBT mental health charity? And, and what I was trying to get to, uh, uh, what are the very key concepts, the sort of key issues um, that inform our work in these communities. And, and I need to say at this point, and to an extent I think this has been acknowledged from the audience, that, that LGBT is a very wide range of experiences and journeys and needs just within those letters. And, and when I've got sort of 15 minutes to, to, to touch upon some very key concepts, in, inevitably really... Um, I'm going to end up, you know, I fear I'm going to end up making generalizations. And, and if in any way I suggest that this, these client groups are homogenous or that, that there is a kind of single set of needs, that's, I, I know that that's wrong and I know that's, that's misleading. So apologies for that in advance. Okay then, uh, LGBT mental health. Um, it, it struck me as I was thinking about this that one of the first things, one of those first kind of absolutely key things that I wanted to, to mention um, is that anybody working in this field with this client group or thinking about these issues might want to start considering is the relationship between the needs of the individual and their sexual orientation or gender identity, i.e., what has their identity got to do with what brings them in front of you in the first place? Um, and, and already I think that there's, there's a danger in that question because answering that question become, can become the focus of your activity and that may be entirely the wrong thing to do. Um, and, and, and secondly, um, I'm afraid, this may be the bad news, I'm afraid there is a huge range of answers to that question. Um, it really vast. Um, from very, very simple, absolutely nothing at all, at one end of the spectrum, all the way through to, to what may be a very complex relationship between the, the identity of the person presenting in terms of their sexual orientation or gender identity and, and the, the issues that are bringing them in front of you in whatever context that is. Um, that can be a very, it can be a very kind of indirect connection. It might be that they're, they're needing to talk about relationships, family, intimacy, sex, all of the kind of things that, that, that very much in, involve us in our lives. It might be a direct conscious connection, a direct conscious ambivalence or antipathy towards their own identity learnt from kind of internalized shame and disgust. It, that might be happening unconsciously. The, the point here is I, I can't spend a lot of time going through all of the levels at which that, that connection can be operating, but, but the, point, the key point here is that it's a spectrum, from nothing to a lot. Um, it's not very scientific, is it, that one? Um, however, um, whenever the next kind of key concept or, or, or key idea that, that I got to is whenever that individual sits in front of you, wherever they sit on, on, on that very unscientific scale, that has an impact upon the services needed by that individual. In particular, what I suggest that it has an impact in the degree of understanding and awareness of LGBT issues that that person needs from their practitioner. So, 
so again, I think what we have here is another scale. So where the needs and the identity are deeply interconnected, I, I would suggest that the, you know, where you have the experience of forming this identity kind of in the face of adversity and hostility and that's leaving a trauma and, and that that's very much what, what, what's coming up for that person, I would suggest that there is a high degree or almost a kind of clinical degree of, of understanding of LGBT issues that might be required in that point. However, again, what we have is, is, is a spectrum, and I think that this kind of slide down, and, and, and there are other levels of understanding and, and awareness that might be needed by that person. And, and again, this kind of moves, ooh, going down to a scale, um, to, a, to a level of a stand, understanding which enables Okay, it, it's, a, it's a facilitative level of understanding which enables the relationship, the kind of healing relationship to take place. Um, recently, the King's Fund um, have funded an evaluation of, of our advocacy service, and we've been talking to our advocacy clients. And one of the things that we've been asking about is, is accessing an LGBT service. And the concept of not having to explain um, of being understood comes up time and time again. Um, another example of the same thing, um, a, a trainee clinical psychologist from the East London Foundation Trust has recently been sort of interviewing our service users and asking them about their experiences in LGB settings compared to non-LGBT settings. And, and a lot of th interesting things have come out of those interviews when you analyze them thematically. Um, and I'll mention some more of those later. One that I did expect to see, I think it's not such a terribly interesting thing, I think it makes sense, um, is, is this, this, again, this concept of not having to explain. Um, I, I mean, you know, and, and it really is, and it works at a fairly sort of mundane level, you know. I mean, it, it could just be a guy who wants to talk to someone about what's going on in his life, and, you know, he, he doesn't really want to spend the time explaining that CBT is, in fact, a sexual activity. Um, he doesn't really want to explain that, you know, what is gaydar and how does that work? Sort of poppers, cruising, and, and all of those things. So, it's, so that's the kind of level of cultural awareness, which is the kind of facilitative and, and enabling level of awareness. Okay, so, so where we've got to is we have those two interconnected variables, okay? However, um, there, is, there is another key concept that, that I want to introduce at this point, that, that from the point of view of, of generic services may make all of the rest of that irrelevant. And, and again, it's one that's already been touched upon. And this is the, the variable experience of being accepted that the individual carries, that each individual carries. Um, and, and therefore, living with the real possibility of rejection Generally speaking, and I know I am generalizing here, many LGBT people live at least part of their lives where their identity is a secret. And this is often happening in hostile or indifferent environments. So disclosure, the telling of your secret, is or has been an issue for nearly all of the LGBT people that you will ever deal with. And the reactions, most of them, my, my, own, the, my own collection of reactions and the reactions that most of the people that I've ever spoken to um, have been mixed. Some, few, 
seem to lead you know, charmed lives of, of, of positive love and acceptance. Well, well good luck to that. Well done. Um, others, at the, the, the other end of, of, of the spectrum, have experienced hideous, brutal, traumatic, terribly damaging, and consistent hostility. Now, because of their identity... Um, and, and one of the speakers earlier was mentioning about people who, who are alive on this planet today who face the death penalty because of their identity. Um, that is the most extreme. Um, and the reason why I think this, this one is such a key issue um, is because it impacts directly upon the degree of trust. Oh, somebody's waving at me saying, shut up. Um, uh, sort of, I've got five minutes, so I won't talk even quicker. Um, the, the degree of, of openness and trust and disclosure from the individual. I, and, and I think it's, it's key to get this one. I know I'm laboring a simple point, but it's, it's a central, unifying, cultural experience that I think exists across the spectrum of people that we're talking about that they may have to consider these questions. Do I tell is it safe? Can I be bothered? Will it help me get what I want? Why should I? Can I use it? Um, and, and, and here, of course, we've talked about that experience of, of reactions. Um, and, 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 and here, of course, it's absolutely crucial to mention the negative experiences of health care services, which, which is also a sort of common feature. Um, in, in one of the evaluations I was talking about, we, when we were talking about our advocacy service users, we were doing sort of in-depth interviews with, with 12 service users, all of whom cited multiple negative experiences um, regarding their identity from statutory healthcare services. Sort of key impacting. Um, so, the experience of disclosure and the reactions, uh, uh, you know, and, and previous reactions is very likely to affect whether or not I'm going to disclose uh, in the first place. Um, now, the point then about an LGBT service, the point about our experience from the front line, is that an, an LGBT service, the, the key difference is that we make the disclosure ourselves. Yeah? As an LGBT service, BT service we do the coming out. Um, we make the disclosure unnecessary for our clients. They don't, they, they've come to us. They don't, they don't necessarily need to tell us. So in a way, um, uh, and this sounds a bit spooky, um, uh, PACE is another planet um, where the normal assumptions are reversed about what happens in society and what people in society that you generally meet are like. And it's the practitioner that comes out not the service user. Um, now, talking to service users, I mean, I've mentioned uh, the couple of uh, evaluations that we have going on at the moment where we're talking to service users. Um, um, and this, this, this one is massive. Um, people often talk about key themes that you see coming up in those interviews are safe space, you know, relaxation, this, this idea of trust, which is repeated over and over again. So it seems to me that what we have in this environment is that the therapeutic relationship is getting a real boost by doing this. However, um, and, and I know I'm running on a bit, but I'll, I'll answer questions very quickly. Um, uh, what, what I found really interesting about these two studies um, is, is that when, when service users were starting to talk about the idea of, of, of having a, a practitioner or a therapist with whom they share an identity, 
Um, the, one of the key differences they identified, one can expect the things about being understood, one can expect the things about trust and, and that kind of safe space. But one of the key things they identified thematically was that the therapist or, or practitioner could be more challenging. And, I, and I, this one is the thought was really interesting, and so I'm going to read you some of the quotes that came up. She really challenged a lot of stereotypes, and that was a really good thing. Another comment from another service user. You can't come here and say, you don't understand what it's like to be gay. Another comment from another service user. I think the reason it's effective to have someone who, comes, who shares a sexuality is that they are not going to make allowances. Um, and, 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 I mean, this is just a quick speech, and, you know, and uh, we can't really go into this in a lot, but I think this is an absolutely key concept for me and, and, and very interesting. Because... For me, one of the key, the key challenges is how best to support people who have or may have experienced victimization and, and where those experiences may be having a real impact upon them without buying into victimhood. Um, and, and I think this is, this is a key thing for all LGBT organizations, this relationship, our relationship with victimhood. Um, you know, there are several sectors um, where, where there is a... The workforce has a, a, is heavily drawn from the client group. Um, I'm, I'm thinking traditionally the sort of drug and alcohol field. That's a field where you find that quite a lot. Uh, domestic violence. Um, and and in, a, in a range of kind of minorities provision. Um, where you have that close relationship between the client group and the staff, I, I think it's good... Um, you know, in, in many ways, but all the staff are bringing their own experience and their own relevant issues. And I think it's good for our staff and for us as organizations to be aware of our own sort of relationship with victimhood and perhaps our own rescuer tendencies um, and, and perhaps to start getting into that kind of Cartman drama triangle. Um, and it, it reminds me, really, at, at the danger, I think, that we might sometimes subtly promote victimhood. Um, I remember when I was at the Metro Center um, for, for a number of years while I was running the youth services, talking to the director there, Sakti, who'd, who'd been there and, and led the organization fantastically uh, for 10 years. And, and, and she was leaving to go and, and do new things. And she was saying to me how just, in the end, how tired she got of, of writing bid after bid after bid, which was about being a victim. Um, and, and kind of pathologizing and saying, oh, poor us, poor us, poor us. Um, and, 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 I, and I think that that's an interesting point. I really do have to stop, don't I? Sorry. Um, I had a lot more I wanted to say, but uh, the will to speak is strong in me. Um, thank you. Thank you.